And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Allocation Disorder, the final episode of 2021. I am Sam Stasekul, joined this week by Felipe Cardenas. Felipe, thanks for joining me, man. Happy to be here, yeah. Happy you're here to to help uh, help send off the year that was. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about MLS Cup, about NYCFC, their victory over Portland. We're going to talk a little bit about the state of both clubs. And we're going to kind of go on a tour of Major League Soccer. Um, Felipe and I teamed up for a piece. They ran on The Athletic on Wednesday. Um, they touched on a lot of different things happening around the league, including LAFC's coaching search, uh, various potential free agent deals, some development in some developments in Houston. We're going to talk about Charlotte, their inaugural roster build starting to come together a little bit. We have some thoughts there and we'll get to a few of your questions at the end. But Felipe, let's just dive right in, man. Let's do it. MLS Cup. I, I was in Portland in, at Providence Park. You were watching from afar. NYCFC obviously outlasted the Timbers on penalties after a remarkably dramatic finish where Felipe Mora scored with five seconds left. If you're listening to the show, you know you know all about it. I don't need to recap it for you. But I'm curious what your impressions were because when you're at a game, sometimes you get caught up in the atmosphere a little bit. That may have happened to me on Saturday. The atmosphere was one that was worth getting caught up in, by the way. Um, but I'm curious what your impressions of the match were from afar, um, watching watching from home. Well, I remember late, not late, I think sort of midway through the first half, I tweeted that I really liked NYCFC's approach to the game. You know, tactically, the, what they were doing, uh, they were on the front foot. I thought they came out and were trying to score first, uh, which I, I immediately thought of Ronnie Dalia. Dela, uh, what his pregame talk must have been like, what his strategy must have been like. I felt like they were very a, a very confident side, and they had control of the game throughout the first half. Uh, so that, to me, was impressive. And as, as the game sort of continued in Portland's began to find its feet a little bit through, through stages of the game, uh, I just kept going back to NYCFC's uh, organization, their structure, their conviction in how they were going to play defensively. They were very good. Uh, and they just were able to, to, to put out a lot of fires, uh, late in the game. And they had their big players showed up. That is what MLS Cup finals and finals around the world are all about. You need your big time players to come through. And Max, Maxi Morales, I thought was excellent. Especially in the first half, but he was excellent throughout the game. Uh, even when he took a knock and he was about, you know, two to three minutes, he had to sort of just walk it off. He gave, he came back in. Tati Castellanos, an excellent game. You know, just a really difficult number nine to, to, to track throughout the game. Uh, he's very good back to goal. He's, he's, he's excellent inside the box. Uh, Alexander Callens, the Peruvian international defender, very good. So, 
I thought Maxime Cheneau. Maxime Cheneau, yes. Probably like better. we were slacking. You and I were slacking. Like this guy's been fantastic. He's been spectacular. And I, I've he's been on my best eleven list for a few years now. I think he's 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 consistently yeah. a very good MLS defender. But he really showed up in the final. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of like you said, a lot of guys showed up. That spine showed up, right? I think all of those guys you mentioned right down the middle for NYCFC. And that's really important. Obviously, Sean Johnson showed up in a major, major Huge. way in the shootout. A couple of incredible saves. Um, and it's interesting to me. And I wrote a little bit about this after the game, but NYCFC have really transitioned from this team that was W Via, Frank Lampard, Andrea Pirlo, not so deep, right? But had the big names up top, uh, older guys and, and to a team that is more in line with kind of modern MLS, I guess, where they're not concerned very clearly about having big names on the squad. I mean, you rattled off their list of, of star players. None of those guys really are huge names, even within MLS, which is wild to say. I mean, Tati Castellanos, I guess, is a growing one now because he just won the golden boot. Maxi Morales has been, you know, a star player in this league for a number of years now. Um, but even, you know, he isn't like first guy that comes to mind when you think about attacking midfielders. In MLS, right? So this is a team, this is a team that flies under the radar, but is really well stocked across the board. And for my money, one to 11, they might be the most talented group in the league. Um, they have some talent off the bench that they can bring on and Tiago Andrade, uh, Talas Magno, Ismail Tajuri Shradi, who of course is, is no longer with them. Uh, he's now out in LA at LAFC. Um, but yeah, some, some solid players off the bench and they were doing this too. Without Anton Tinnerholm, mm-hmm. who may, was maybe 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 their best player last season, one of the I think he's a top player in MLS. I just think he's a very good player, very like a leader, a yeah. captain, hard nosed, very consistent, very good player. Absolutely, and they were doing it without Keaton Parks mm-hmm. as well, who was you know one of their main midfielders all season long. Um, so you know, going into Portland, missing two of your best players, not really missing a beat, controlling the first half. You know, I thought they they backed off a little bit too early in the second. Um, and they went into a shell a little bit. Ronnie Dela mentioned that in his post game. He was like, Yeah, that part was a little disappointing. Obviously he was pleased with the result, pleased enough to strip down and do his underwear after the game, <laughs> which was uh quite the scene in itself. Um but, but yeah, it was, it was a pretty solid performance and, you know, a weird season for them because they weren't, they weren't flying the whole way. They played some of the best soccer in MLS the whole way. Um, but they went through a stretch in the summer, nine games where they just had one win. You know, it was a, a five game unbeaten, winless streak. Excuse me. And, and four of those games, they didn't score a goal. Um, and Felipe, you know, one that the game that ended it was was in your neck in of the Atlanta, woods. I was, was going to bring that up. We were slacking that night. I was at the stadium at Mercedes Benz Stadium. You were in New York watching the game, and there were moments throughout that game when they were when NYCFC went down and they just completely lost their their shape, their their personality, their plan. They were the players were bickering at each other. Uh, and we were talking about like Dale is in trouble. Is this guy in trouble? Like it was as if like Ronnie Dalo had been in trouble throughout the season, but that night his job was on the line. 
Well, it looked like they were going to miss the yeah, playoffs yeah, for a moment. Yeah. And so, yeah. It, and, and this was, this was like October 20th. This wasn't that long ago. Yeah, it was, those were the like huge games down the stretch for NYCFC, for Atlanta. And so they, they, they draw, they, they draw that game in Atlanta with that 90th minute free kick, which was beautiful. And, and that really, I think you've mentioned this on, on, on other episodes of allocation sort of is sort of just like set them on their way. But just quickly, you know, you mentioned Maxim, Maxi Morales. You know, I agree. He's not brought up as like hey he's a top attacking midfielder but he's certainly one of the top number 10s in the league i think he still epitomizes what that position can be like in mls mls is still a number 10 friendly league and he is one of the premier number 10s because he does it in a very classic way he loves to play in the pockets he can get behind defensive midfielders if you're not tracking him he'll he'll pick you apart and then just the depth like before the playoffs uh, I believe it was right before the playoffs, uh, Gideon Zalalem was red carded. So he was out of the game against Atlanta. And there was talk like, oh, this team's in trouble. What are they going to do in midfield? They were already losing Keaton Parks, who was out due to heart surgery. And then that's where you saw the depth. They moved James Sand, Sands into the midfield, uh, from right back into, into central midfield. They rely on, on Morales. Uh, Alfredo Morales as a number six. And then they moved Tavon Gray, the teenage homegrown, to right back. And that's the lineup all the way through MLS Cup. So they prove that they have a team. And we know that if they're down, they're going to bring on a bunch of attackers. And they have that as well. Yeah, I didn't even mention Eber. Yeah. Right? Who scored a bunch of goals in MLS before he tore his ACL. Um, so, you know, he's a guy that could be big for them next year, potentially, depending on what happens with Tati Castellanos, who's now being talked up by Pep Guardiola, that. getting that nice CFG, that city football group bump, raising that price tag a little bit, potentially for a sale in the winter. Morales, Maxi Morales is out of contract as well. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with him. Um, but you know, most of this group should be back. Jesus Medina doesn't look like he'll be back. Um, but I don't know. You know, he obviously was a starter for them. He had a decent season, but I think mostly underperformed expectations. Played well in the final. I thought he had a good final. Not excellent, but uh, he solid. was pretty solid. Like. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it was a respectable performance for him, for sure. Um, if not spectacular. So I think most of this team should be coming back. I would expect they'll work out a deal with Maxi Morales. We'll see. I'm talking to their sporting director, David Lee, here in a couple of hours. Um but this is, you know, this is a club that has a huge advantage over the rest of the league, basically, and that they are connected into City Football Group. And that allows them access and the ability to go sign guys like Tati Castellanos, who were already pulled in to a CFG club in Uruguay, get them in super young, unrelatively friendly contracts. And then, you know, NYC still has to do the work of actually developing them. And they did that with Castellanos, right? So... It's not like he came as a finished product, but, but they can get access to players like that. They can get access to players like Talis Magno, like Santi Rodriguez, who I think is Very really good. good. Um, and I'm curious, I'm curious to see how he develops here going forward. Um, also from the CFG universe. Um, so, so that's really important, right? And a big thing for them going forward is selling some of these guys. And I expect that Castellanos will move. I wouldn't be shocked if James Sands moves. In the winter, I think he'll probably push for something like that to try and work his way into the World Cup picture for the U.S. national team. We'll see if that happens or not. Um, he's on a long contract that he signed earlier this year. But overall, I think a pretty intriguing project. Um, 
on the field. Off the field, they obviously still have many issues in terms of their stadium being the most glaring one. Um, a long way to go in developing a fan base and, and carving out local relevance. I shouldn't say developing a fan fan base because their hardcore fans are are pretty. pretty yeah, numerous, they're pretty legit. But it, we talked about this offline. It, it did feel somewhat underwhelming after they won. It was a big deal, but then there's no parade. They, you know, New York. They didn't ask for. A I parade. mean, come on. They but, did a little event. So, so be it. Well, they they asked they asked for no parade, right? Like they they requested to not do one, and they did an event at City but Hall. It was in so Manhattan. muted, and um, then we know we've seen the TV ratings. New York barely showed up to watch that game. The New York market. So I think it's it's revealing that a team like that, without a soccer stadium. Uh, with, with, with a, a with a, a viewership in New York that is scant to say the least, uh, is one of the best teams in MLS. Uh, I think you've seen other champions in the, in the past that once, when they win, it just seems like a pop culture big deal. There's, there's fanfare, yeah. there's I content. Mean, if, Port- if Portland had won, it would have been a big deal, right? In Portland. And, and here in New York, you know, I was joking with my wife after the game who is very much not really a soccer fan. Right. And so she was like at a friend's house on Saturday night. And I called her after the game, after I got back to my hotel. And I was like, uh, she's like, Oh, how's the game? And I was like, Yeah, NYCFC won. It was crazy. I was like, I'm sure you know all this though. You know, I'm sure the streets are, are just rocking with, with people in baby blue jerseys. Right. And she, she just laughed (laughs) and she's like, Yeah, not quite. Um, and we, we live in the city. So, you know, it's just, there's still a long way to go for this club. For this league, but this club in particular. Um, that being said, the on-field side of it, I think they knock it out of the park. They obviously have some advantages, but they've done a really good job there too. Um, and we'll see. You know, like I said, I think they're well positioned for success going forward. Um, they have a strong roster. They have some interesting, talented young players. They're deep, um, and they they're going to have open DP spots to work with this winter too. Which is which is going to be interesting. Um, depending on Morales' contract, they might just have one DP in Talis Magno, um, so they they could have some real wor- room to to work with, and they could have some real money to play with. Not just CFG money, but a lot of allocation money potentially too if they sell Castellanos. Yeah, and they and they like that Brazilian market. They've got connections there as well. So they so. do. They hit that pretty hard. So Felipe, let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about the losers. The Portland Timbers. Uh, what did you make of their performance? What do you make of their trajectory? Where do you think they go from here? Well, I, I again, I'm going back to what I tweeted before the game. I tweeted about Gio Savarese. What what is this? What happens if he doesn't win this game? It would be his second consecutive, I guess, you know, MLS Cup final loss. He lost in 2018 to Atlanta, uh, a very heavily favored Atlanta side. We understand that, uh, but here he's at home. He's gotten them this far. Uh, it's, it's the biggest game in Portland history. Like, what is he, what sort of manager does he become in these big game finals? And we know he has a, he has a, a very, um, decorated past in NASL with Cosmos, but this is another level. MLS is another level. It's the highest level in American soccer. And so that was me going into it. I thought the, now that I'm evaluating the team and Severacy, some of his decisions in hindsight, you know, they came out flat. They were the flat team in the first half. And it, do you think they were yes. flat? Yeah, I do. I do. Because I thought they were just playing kind of their normal timber style, yeah, which but, is like, okay, well, then that, you know, which is, which is sit deep and look to hit in transition. But NYCFC are clean enough where that's not really an easy thing to do. They're not, it's not like they're playing RSL. 
and they're going to have some turnovers and RSL is going to make some mistakes and they're going to be able to get forward. Like NYCFC is a good team and they didn't really allow for that. I thought they were flat. I thought, I thought the game played out the way we all expected because of those things that you just mentioned. NYCFC was going to have the ball. They're a technical side. Portland feels like they can, they can bunker and counter on pretty much anyone in this league and they do it well. Uh, but the team that was settling in quickly and early and and more often in that game was NYCFC. And you saw some of the decisions from Gio Severici that I felt hindered the the output and the performance of the Timbers. Um, you know, Sebastian Blanco, if I'm the coach, I play him too. You know, I'm not going to criticize that. You yeah, know? you can't you can't knock starting him even though he's not. But fit, but right? that becomes a decision that has a domino effect. He wasn't good. He was he did have a knock. You could tell. Uh, and, and sitting Santiago Moreno, the t- the the young U twenty two player, the Colombian from America de Cali, who had just an absolute performance in the in the Eastern Conference final. Uh, over you know you start him you you sit him for Darren Asprilla, who just was a non factor, and so. Those those are the big game decisions that I think ha- are haunting Severus and Portland Timbers fans because that I think would have been the difference if certain players would have been on the field. Yeah, and I don't want to knock Savarese too too hard, right, for losing a final because he got to the final, right? There are twenty five other coaches in this league that can't say that, so he deserves credit for getting there too. But having said that, um, to me, I look at the Timbers and I see a team that should be. Better might be the wrong word, but they should play better soccer than they do. But that's on Gio. That is right. on Gio. You know, and his style coming from Venezuela and the, the culture of Venezuelan football, which is growing and it's becoming a very just a, an interesting market as far as talent. But they typically are not a offensive footballing culture. And I think he, he has brought some of that. It's in his DNA. He has the team to play that way. But to your point, I agree. Like the, the soccer isn't always great. Uh, and, and yes, like he should be, he should get a lot of credit for getting the final error. Like you said, a lot of coaches in MLS that haven't come close to that. But, you know, just like Tata Martino, he was a, he was a coach that could not win a final until he came to Atlanta. That, that sits on people's resumes. It's talked about and he's going to have to get over that. Severace, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, I, I don't know. I, again, I'll just say it again. That team, in my opinion, should be, they have the players to play better soccer than they do. I, I don't know why they're not a team that can play with the ball and dominate games through possession. It doesn't really make a ton of sense to me. They were missing, of course, some players of their own due to injury this year. Eric Williamson, a guy who would have helped with that. Uh, Andy Polo, a guy who could have helped with that. Christian Paredes, you know, did not start the final because he was dealing with a knock, right? So they had to start George for Chive in there and that, that impacts what they can do with and without the ball. Um, but curious to see how the Timbers evolve. I feel like every year they go into the season saying, this is the year that we're going to be a team that can dominate through possession. And then they get to the second half and they revert back to their old ways and they get results. So you can't really knock it, right? It works for them. Um, but you know, you would love to see them kind of take that next step. They have some big questions with their roster too. Sebastian Blanco out of contract expectation is that he's going to be back. We'll see if it's on a DP deal or not. Um, that's up in the air. Diego Valeri is under contract, but I don't know. Mm. I don't know what his deal don't, is going to be. Maybe he retires. Yeah, I don't think he's coming back. Maybe he looks, maybe he looks to go elsewhere. We'll, we'll see what happens there. His role was very minimal down the stretch. Uh, that was another thing with Savarese. I, I couldn't believe how long he waited to make 
a couple of those final attacking changes with Valeria and Nia's Coda. It's big game decisions, Sam. I mean, we're back to that. Like, we keep going back to Geo. I agree. Like, you know, I, I personally, the, the Valeria that I've seen this year and even last year, we all know he's not the same. Uh, for some reason, no, and and you can't you can't really no, start. And, and for some reason, he's the sort of veteran player that the game hasn't slowed down for him. It actually, he I feel like he's at he's playing too fast when you see him on in some of these games. But yeah, it, it took a while to to make some of those decisions to get Portland back into the game. I mean, he basically gave them like Nia's Goda. I think came on in the eighty third, and Valeri was like the eighty ninth. And it, it's like at that point, why even bother? You know, like, like you're not giving these guys any time to make, make a difference. Yeah. Um, And it was, it was bizarre. Yeah. It says a lot about just the confidence that, that Severacy and the staff have in those players, especially a legendary player like Valeri. Yeah. Um, they also have a decision with Steve Clark, who is a free agent. Um, so they might be down there starting goalkeeper. He had a really good year for them. Um, despite, you know, not being at his best, I think in MLS cup, probably could have saved the NYCFC goal. It was a tough one. I, I don't want to say it was an easy save or anything like that, but you know, I was talking to a former pro goalkeeper the other day who's usually pretty sympathetic towards towards the goalkeeper union and he was like, you know, you, you probably want to get down and save that one. Um shootout he came close on a couple, wasn't able to save. keep them out. Had he had one save. Yeah, he had one save. Celebrated like so, he had won the cup after that save. I mean, but. you got to, man. You got to celebrate those <laughs> victories. Just like Ronnie Dela, you know, you got to strip down to your underwear. So, curious to see where their timbers go. Um, you know, I think they'll continue to be a solid club, a solid organization, a playoff team. But can they make that next step? I think a lot of that is maybe down to coaching and a lot down to these next decisions, too. Because this is an older squad with a lot of their key players that needs to kind of succession plan. Um you know, you Diego Chara. Diego Chara. That. How do you replace him? He made a couple of plays at MLS Cup he that was, were incredible. He was just fantastic. chasing guys down. And I turned to you know our editor Alex Abnos in the press box, and I was just like, "Oh my god, this guy is unbelievable!" Like he was making like sixty yard runs and and catching guys who are twenty two, right? And, and I think there was one where he caught Medina late. That was a really incredible play. There was one where he chased down Castellanos on the sideline and Castellanos tried to give him like a little stiff arm and Chara bounced right off and then came in and won a tackle. And, and he so was like, good. he was like, yeah, you can try that on, on somebody else, Tati, but <laughs> not me. He's like the Tom Brady of MLS. This guy I mean, is ageless. It was an MVP performance from Diego. MVP, MLS MVP performance, MLS Cup MVP performance. I'm sorry. I voted, he, I voted for him. Yeah, at I'm, one not point. They, I'm not surprised. Because we were allowed to vote for MLS Cup MVP like four different times because of <laughs> yeah. all the twists in the game. So one of those votes was for Diego Chara. But they need to, they need to start succession planning, you know, and, and figuring out some solutions. Um, hopefully Eric Williamson can make a, make a healthy return next season. Um, from the major injury that he suffered because I think he's a good player and could be kind of a foundational piece for them going forward. Anyway, let's put a bow on MLS Cup there. 2021 season in the books. 2022 offseason already in full swing. Preseason opens in a month. We're going to talk about some of the winter moves here in the next segment. Stay with us. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. 
Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And we are back to Allocation Disorder. Sam Stasekul joined by Felipe Cardenas. Felipe, we reported yesterday, Wednesday, on The Athletic that LAFC is making some progress in their coaching search with an intriguing candidate, a guy named Renato Paiva, who currently is coaching Independiente del Valle, one of the kind of, I think, uh, more innovative, more interesting, more intriguing clubs in all of South America. They are the Ecuadorian champions as of this weekend, um, when Paiva led them to the title in the second leg of their two-leg final. Um, and LAFC president, John Thorrington, he was down there in Ecuador last week. We were told that he spoke to him, um, to Paiva about the head coaching job. So we'll see if they, they end up snagging this guy. But I think a very interesting candidate for them to look at. You've been digging in. You're actually going on Ecuadorian ch- television here in a, in a half hour or so. <laughs> so. So tell us a little bit more about his profile, about his resume, and about if they end up hiring him and if he ends up taking that job. Uh, what he might bring to LAFC. Well, you mentioned it, you know, Independiente del Valle, they, they, they are one of the, the most innovative, uh, they're an upstart sort of team in South America. Uh, for over the last three or four years, they've reached finals. They were in the 2016 Copa Libertadores final. They lost that final. They were, they won the Copa Sudamericana, I believe in 2019. It was their first international title ever, and they'd never won a domestic title until last Sunday. Uh, and so for me, Renato Paiva, what makes him interesting is a, his profile is a 51 year old, uh, manager that's coming from the, the, from Benfica, who spent a lot of time over, I think over 13, 13 to 18 years in that, in that setup with the youth academy. And there's something to me that, that makes sense for this. Like, I don't know if they can get this over the line because after winning, over the weekend, he has just catapulted into like Tata level, Tata Martino level status in Ecuador. Uh, and, but there's something that reminds me of Bob Bradley. You know, he is a didactic coach. He is an intense coach. He's very much someone that is good use of didactic, by the right? way. Thank you. Thank you. Haven't heard that word in a while. <laughs> um, you know, Paiva is is an intense, meticulous sort of trainer, if you will, throughout the week, uh, and he is not he is unafraid to play young players, and and he he's he's able to manage a squad that is sort of a mix of under twenty two players that are coming through the academy. He has a very good eye for for scouting, uh, and, and and this is a guy that's highly respected, um, obviously in Europe, and so. It, it it sounds like a nice fit for what LAFC wants to do. The fact that they are still looking internationally 
I think is really interesting. Um, and I told you, Sam, o- offline that to me, Bob Bradley is an international caliber coach. Yes, he's an American. You can call him domestic, but to me, he's at that level. So it makes well, sense. I mean, he's for done, L- he's yeah, done yeah, it, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. So it, it so, makes yeah. sense. It makes sense for LAFC to look at that sort of profile. But I think what, what Bradley brings that most American coaches or some American coaches don't is kind of a real ability to relate to an international player because of his background and because of all the jobs he's taken in various places around the world, right? He has an easier time maybe with that than somebody that's worked their whole career in MLS. And I think that's important for LAFC because when you look at this team, not only is it heavy on young guys, they were one of the youngest teams in the league last year, but they're very South American at this point. Very South American. Paiva is Portuguese. He is not South American. Uh, he is currently working in South America, however. Um, and so I think that background might, might help in that locker room. Um, but I think it's good to hear as kind of somebody who is a, you know, a fan is probably the wrong word, but someone who, who wants this league to grow, um, and to get better and to have better soccer to hear you describe him, Paiva, as a guy who's like a really intense trainer and who is really kind of like obsessed with thinking about the game, right? Um, the more like minds like that, that come to MLS, I think the better for the league. So we'll see, we'll see if he's able to, to, or if he ends up taking the LSC job, like you said, or if they end up offering it, even like you said, you know, he's been talking a lot in Ecuador about what, what his plans are for, for Independiente del Valle for I next mean, season. He so. referred, he referred, Paiva referred to Independiente del Valle as a European focused club. He, he, he got to this club. And he was like, wow, this is run like a European club from the and, academy. And they sell a lot of players. Yeah. To yeah. And so he, but again, Paiva had never been a head coach. I think he was the head coach of Benfica for like six games when they were going through some transitions. So this right. is managed real, Benfica B for yeah, a year. He managed the Benfica team. B, uh, which is, uh, you know, a, a prominent reserve side in Portugal and in Europe. But this job at IDV in the Benita Advaje, this is his first real job as, as a full-time head coach. And he takes them, he's sort of, he's succeeding Miguel Angel Ramirez, who's now the, the Charlotte FC coach. Uh, and he sort of continued what, what Ramirez was doing in Ecuador. Uh, and he won the title. I think what's interesting if, if, if this is the guy for LAFC is that yes, you want them to be attacking. You read about Paiva and he's an attack minded coach, but one of the things that he did for Independiente del Valle, especially on the way to the championship, is that he solidified their back line and the spine of that team. They were, I believe they were the team that conceded the least amount of goals in the second half of the season. Uh, and they became a more solid team. Uh, he is also very outspoken. You know, he is, he's unafraid to go after a referee, go after a former, uh, an opposing coach. Uh, question a, a journalist, uh, a, a reporter's question in a press conference. Uh, so that also reminds me of Bob Bradley a little bit. Uh, so it's an interesting profile. It's an interesting personality that, that LAFC may, may be landing here. Well, we'll see. I, I think it'll be a good hire in, in some ways. I mean, obviously I don't have a ton of information on this guy. You've done more research than I have. Um, but from what you're describing, it sounds like it would be a pretty solid hire for them. We're also told Steve Chirondolo, you know, he's been in the mix. Ante Razov has been in the mix. I think in a lot of ways, an international candidate makes a little bit more sense for that club at this point in time. They still have the MLS infrastructure in the front office with Thornington and, and the rest of the staff there. So I wouldn't be too worried about their ability to compete in that way. Uh, but we'll see, you know, time clock is ticking uh, for all of these teams. Uh, like I said, we have about a month 
until preseason begins, which is insane to me. But, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, we'll get there. And say Razov, I'll say quickly, he would be key. If Paiva's the guy, Paiva took his entire staff from Portugal, I believe from Benfica B, but just like his staff in Ecuador is Portuguese. It's, or those are his guys. So that, that will be interesting. You mentioned it, you know, the LAC has the MLS experience in the front office and Ansai Razov is obviously a key assistant. He would have to stick around. I think that would be important. Yeah. We'll see if that happens. That'll be a little bit surprising if he did to me anyway, but maybe Chirondolo gets elevated to an assistant role, right? He's their USL affiliate coach in, in Vegas right now. So maybe they bring him with the first team. Who knows? Transitioning to Charlotte FC, other side of the country, a uh, much different style of club so far, it's fair to say, than LAFC. Um, their initial roster is starting to come together. The expansion draft was this week. They added three players. Uh, they drafted two more who they traded. LAFC was involved in both of those deals, actually. Tristan Blackman was selected from LAFC and then flipped to Vancouver. Uh, Ishmael Tajuri Shradi, second mention for him on the show today, uh, was drafted from NYCFC and then flipped to LAFC, um, total of 875000 in allocation money for those two players. Nat- Charlotte also traded Nashville 500000 for two international slots. And, and that's, that's key here because this team is very, very, very international so far. They have 14 players. Seven of them, as of now, would occupy international slots. They're hoping to get a couple green cards for some of those guys, so that could go down to five. That would leave them with five open international slots for the remainder of their roster, probably 12 to 14 more players. They don't have any DPs yet. They only have one U22 guy. I would expect that basically if they fill those slots, if they fill those five slots, those will probably all be international players. Um, so they'll need those international slots probably for those. So far, this roster, very unknown. You know, not not a lot of names that MLS fans are familiar with. Um, and the ones that MLS fans are familiar with don't have much experience in the league. You know, the, the two most experienced guys are Anton Walks and Joseph Mora in terms of MLS. They have Christian Fuchs as well, former Leicester player uh, who, who has an American wife and wanted to come over to MLS for a long time. He's kind of their big name right now. He's their which guy. Is, He's their star. He's their Which ambassador. is kind of wild. Um, but, you know, this is a team that has a lot of work to do. They have some interesting pieces. This Riley McGree, Australian, full international. He's been on loan at Birmingham in the championship. Uh, he's done well there, and, and they wanted to keep him. But Charlotte are bringing him over. Um, Vinicius Mello, he comes from Internacional in Brazil. U22, young money signing. Um, so there's some potential there. But so far, I think mostly underwhelmed by their roster build. And I'm kind of wondering where the big signings are and if they're coming before the season starts at this point. What what do you make of the whole project so far in Charlotte? I mean, this, listen, this is your, this is you and Paul's like area of expertise, roster building. Uh, it's, it's not mine at all. But when I look at Charlotte, it just still feels like very much. I mean, I, I don't even think like startup is, I think startup is being too polite here. Like it just feels like they're still in this baby step mode. Um, just months away from their debut. Uh, they have a very good coach. I mean, that was, that was a, that was a coup for them to, to get Miguel Angel Ramirez away from South America. The Spaniard who, who was at Independiente del Valle, that's where he made his name. He was in Brazil, did not go well there at Inter. Uh, but he, he is a, like, he's a very tactically, a, 
uh, adept coach, a guy that wants to play good soccer. Um, the methodology is, is, is an advanced one. And he's also unafraid, like Paiva, I mean, of, of playing young players. But I've been thinking about this. I'm like, I wonder what he's thinking his team is going to look like and how he's going to have to adjust his tactics to fit the team that he has. Um, you know, he's coming from Ecuador with that club in the Bendita del Valle who is just completely stacked with young attacking players, um, formidable, uh, sort of academy projects that can play in, in, in a back line that are aggressive in midfield. Is he going to have that sort of profile? Um, clearly the international slots are the priority. As you mentioned, I think they came out of that draft with what, 875 thousand dollars to to spend uh and 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 he's probably not a coach that is very uh caught up with the american domestic pool the american player uh so this team i think you said it a lot of work to do i'm just so curious to see what that starting 11 looks like come february yeah and i think that's pretty unknown right now and they have some signings that are on the way. I expect them to be players in the free agent market in MLS as well. Um, but overall, what I've heard about the club, Zoran Corneta, the sporting director, Miguel Angel, Angel Ramirez, obviously those guys don't have any prior MLS experience or any experience in the American game. Um, and they're behaving accordingly. It's going to be a super international roster. You know, I was talking to an agent the other day. Who is telling me that, you know, they're basically, he thinks that they're, they're overvaluing international players. They're undervaluing MLS guys. And that can be tough when you're an expansion team and you have a coach and a GM who have never been in MLS before. And then you have a ton of players that have never been in MLS before. Just navigating the rhythm of the league becomes, it's already difficult for an expansion team. You're doing it for the first time, but when you're doing it for the first time with basically no one that has done it before, <laughs> right? It becomes that much more, that much harder. Um, and, and I can't remember Anton walks, I think was around in 17. Yeah. He, he was yeah. on that inaugural roster and he was a teenager at the time. You know, I was, I was looking back at that, that Atlanta roster from 2017 and the LAFC roster from 2018. And, and yeah, their stars were guys that were imported from abroad. Right. Miguel Amiron, Joseph Martinez in Atlanta, Carlos Vela for LAFC. But they had backbones that were very, you know, uh, domestic heavy. Right. You think about Michael Parkhurst and Brad Guzan and Jeff Lorenowitz with Atlanta. I'm probably forgetting some guys even from that team. You think about Walker Zimmerman, Tyler Miller, uh, Jordan Harvey, Stephen Betasher, Lee Wynn, Benny Failhaber. With, with LAFC, you know, that real MLS experience, right? Established guys who have done it in the league before. And Charlotte right now doesn't have any of that. Uh, I think Joseph Mora is their most experienced MLS player, former DC United fullback. And, and that's just like not a lot. <laughs> and, and so I think it's going to be tough for them unless that changes. Um, and it's going to be tough for them, you know, unless they sign some some badass dps which they have not done yet um and we'll see if they do it right i think a lot of the grade is incomplete so far to be fair to them and i don't want to rush to judgment but the people i'm talking to around mls have not really been too impressed so far um and, and i don't know i wouldn't say hopes at the moment aren't that high for charlotte but there's some off season left and a lot could change not between much. now now in February 26. When I, the think that's, I think that's concerning to your point because even now, you know, what we're five years removed from uh, Atlanta United's 
debut season in 2017. And still the formula for success is, yeah, you need to hit on your DPs. You've got to have game changing DPs, but you need MLS experience. You need guys that understand how to play not just this league and understand MLS, but once you get to the playoffs, like those are the guys that always step up, that understand how to win those games. It's <laughs> like, you got to get to the playoffs you first. You got to get there first. I mean, and, and that's always the huge, the biggest hurdle for the expansion side. So I agree. I think it's a bit of a concern where they are right now. And considering the, the, the caliber of coach that they've hired, that is a concern. Like what is, how is he going to, uh, you know, view this first roster? How is he going to coach? He's, the, you know, at the athletic, we've done some really nice features on Miguel and her Ramirez. I know Paul Tenorio spoke to him before our, our other reporter, Jack Lang spoke to him in December of 2020. The title of this headline of his was Miguel on her Ramirez, the best coach you've never heard of. And at the time, 36 years old. Wow. Uh, That's a good headline. I'm intrigued. Right. Um, And he, his quote, I'll just read a quick quote from him. This is Ramirez saying football for me is a possession game, but not in a superficial way. Having control of the game means having the ball. That's the foundation on which I can build everything else. I try to outnumber the opposition in places. So what looks risky is just actually the team attacking with many elements as possible. Can you do that in MLS and in your first year? I I don't know. I don't think so. LAFC, LAFC did. Uh, they did. They did. But they they Atlanta Atlanta did in a way. There are there there are outliers here, and that's why right. those but, DPs but look who, need to look, be exactly. Clean. And the, and their DPs, their big DPs were signed by now at this point in the process. Right. Right. right? Almiron, I think, was signed early December for Atlanta. Vela was signed in the summer before the first season for LAFC. Right. And Charlotte, like. They haven't got one done yet. Uh, and I think they are close. They're expecting to announce some, some moves here. I think maybe even this week, maybe next week. So maybe some Christmas presents under the tree for the, for those of you in North Carolina who might be supporting that team. Um, but long way to go. Like I said, don't want to judge too hard because there's still, there is still a long way to, a lot of moves to be made for this roster. But I think so far, very international heavy, lacking MLS experience. And that, you know, raises the eyebrows. For me, I think for you, Felipe, and for a lot of other folks around MLS. Speaking of around MLS, let's transition to a few few other moves here that were made this week. A couple of relatively significant trades. Uh, Sebastian Legette reportedly headed to New England. Sources have confirmed that to me. The exact amount was reported on Wednesday by ESPN's Jeff Carlisle. Base of $500,000 in allocation money to the Galaxy from the Revs, rising up to $1.3 million depending on various performance Oof. benchmarks, um, which would be quite the haul. Uh, yeah. Lewis Morgan, big move for Miami, headed to the Red Bulls for $1.2 million in allocation, spread out over the 2022 and 2023 seasons. That's huge for Miami in terms of their punishments and clawing some of that money back. You know, they were, they were fined, I think it was roughly $1.13 per year in allocation. And getting 600 from Oregon in 22 and losing his salary basically gets you to that total. So that really helps you out if you're Chris Henderson and enter Miami. It's and also then- a shame. It's also a shame. I mean, I, Lewis Morgan, I think is a good player and I, he could have been a long-term inner Miami, like stalwart. I just think it's a shame for inner Miami to have to get rid of a player like that out of necessity because of what happened because of the financial sanctions. He's a good player. Yeah. But he was basically, you know, he didn't have as good of a season in 21 as he did in 20. He played a lot more as a wing back in 2021 than in 20 when he played on the wing and was able to kind of rack up more goals and more assists. 
I think he's a good fit for Red Bulls, though. Yeah, I mean, with the right players around him, let's say Inter Miami had not built the 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 squad that they did to begin with, which was a disaster. Lewis Morgan to me is like the ideal sort of role player uh, on a very good team. He can he would elevate his play. You're right. I, I think he's going to be one of the better players for Red Bull. He can press. He can play at a at high pace the entire time. So it's it is a nice fit. It is a nice fit. And maybe be a little bit more clean in the final third when he does win possession back than, than some of the guys that they've had there previously. Um, so I think he'll be a good fit for them. Um, legit to New England. The Revs are coming off a, a excellent regular season, set the all-time MLS points record, fell in the first round of the playoffs after a 23 day layoff. We've been, we've been down that road. Um, I think this is a great move for both the player and the team. You know, Leggett is, you know, obviously not the favorite of U.S. national team fans, uh, but he is a significant upgrade over what the Revs had in the middle this year, which was primarily Tommy McNamara, right? And so putting him in front of Matt Polster and behind Carlos Heel, that's pretty formidable in terms of a midfield three. Uh, and I really like that. Uh, what do you make of it for the Revs and, and for him personally, for Leggett? I agree. Like I, I can understand sort of the angst that comes from you know U.S. fans about Lejet because he he's a, a very technical player. Uh, he's just not aggressive enough. He's not a player that is pushing the ball forward. That's taking the game on his shoulders. That's putting up a team on his back. And at times for the U.S., like he was in positions to do that during World Cup qualifying and did not do that. He tends to hide a little bit in games, but, uh, you know, you mentioned it. I think this would be a very impressive midfield. It would free up Carlos Hill again to be that 10. That's, that's just roaming around in a free roll, picking pockets uh, of space and just dicing up MLS defenses. Uh, I think this is a player that. Bruce Arena in Leggett, I think he can get a lot out of it. Maybe this is the I sort mean, of they, coach they, that they, he needs. Bruce Arena brought Leggett to MLS in, in 2015 with the LA Galaxy. So obviously they have a relationship there. You mentioned Carly Seal and how this could impact him. You know, I think this will really help Leggett playing behind Carly Seal because he's not going to be asked to be the creative force for that team, right? And other, other opponents, right? They're focusing on heel, right? They're marking the crap out of him. Right, which should open up space for Legette to be able to get forward and deliver the final ball and score some goals. And he can do that. that he's done. He can yeah, do things that. Yes. that he's done in MLS. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I think this is a good move for him, uh, both for his MLS career and for his national team future as he tries to to work his way in, into that ahead of ahead of the World Cup a year from now. Felipe, let's take one more break. We're running a little short on time, and then we'll get to some listener Q and A's to close things out. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. 
From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Welcome back. Allocation is sort of final show of the year, final segment of the final show of the year. We are going to do some listener Q&As because we appreciate you, listeners. You're the ones that make this podcast happen. You know, it blows my mind anytime someone tells me that they listen to this show because it's just like a couple of dorks talking about MLS dorky <laughs> things. Um, but I I appreciate you all tuning in and, and enjoying this show and creating a little bit of a culture around it. So thank you for all of your support. Felipe, thank you for being here and for making this show better. Bring I'm in, a new, bring in a new voice. I'm honored to be on the last episode of 2021 in, you know, still covering for the one and only Paul Tenorio. Well, you know, maybe you're stealing a spot, dude. Uh, don't like, tell Paul. Don't tell Paul. Don't. He won't listen to this. I'm not worried. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's dive into some listener q and I, I wrote this question down, and I didn't write the username down on Twitter, from Twitter, so I apologize to whoever anonymous person asked this question. <laughs> but he asked, or she asked, what MLS squad is poised to make the most noise in next year's CONCACAF Champions League? And for those who do not know, the CONCACAF Champions League draw happened earlier this week. I'll just run it down real quick for the MLS team. Seattle are facing Montagua in the round of 16. Colorado against Comunicaciones. NYCFC against Santos de Guapiles. Uh, New England Revolution against Cavalli AS. Montreal against Santos Laguna. Uh, in terms of the path, uh, probably friendliest for... The I don't know about that, man. They would have to play Pumas or Saprissa in the quarters. Sure. Mm, right? So the, if NYCFC and Colorado both win, they will face each other in the quarterfinals, which would guarantee a semifinalist for MLS. MLS obviously has never won the Champions League. We know all about that. Uh, but Felipe, just running that down. What do you think? Who's got the best chance in next year's CCL? I'm going to double down. I'm still going to stick with New England. Uh, you know, this first draw, they're, they're playing a team from Haiti, which should be an easy out. Uh, and, you know, I just think New England, we've, we just talk about it. They're going to retool. They're going to have a stronger midfield. I think they're going to be very hungry to do what they didn't do last season, which was uh, win a title. Yes, they won the Supporters' Shield, but like an, a legitimate title. And they have an international caliber coach in Bruce Arena that won't be phased by this sort of competition. Uh, I like New England. Even you mentioned that if they get through, they have to play who? Pumas or Tigres? Saprissa. Uh, I like New England in both of those matchups. Pumas is a team that str- is struggling. They got through to the Liguilla in, in Mexico, but they're not a strong side. Saprissa is a top side in Costa Rica, but 
not in their best form over the last few years, I'm sticking with the refs. Scheduling, obviously always a concern in this tournament for MLS. The first round of games will be held in late February. Uh, the second round, early March. So very early part of the season for MLS teams. You know, I, I like your shout with New England. I think Montreal probably has the toughest path. No doubt. Uh, if they, if they, they have to face Santos Laguna in the first round. Uh, if they survive that, they probably get to play Cruz Azul in the second. So Montreal, that's a tough one, man. That's, that's, that's unfortunate. Uh, Seattle, if they win, they'll likely play Leon, who they played in the league's cup final, had a lead against in the second half and ended up losing that game. But a team that I think it's fair to say they're relatively evenly matched with. Um, so I think that series could maybe go anyway, depending on how the Sounders offseason progresses. Uh, but I keep going back to that NYCFC Colorado matchup. They'll both be favored to advance out of the first round. Will they both do it? We'll see. Um, but if they do, I think NYCFC has a good chance to make a semifinal, which they would probably face Leon or Seattle, right? And they're obviously riding a high right now. We talked about them earlier in the show. They should return most of their guys from this team if they can figure out the striker situation. And that's a big if. But they have Ebert. And if he can round into form... He's a guy that can score plenty of goals. He doesn't bring all the things that Cassianos brings, but he, he brings goals, and that's pretty important. So I, I don't know. I like NYCFC. It is a good shot with New England, though. I, uh, I, but I think, I, like, I think I like NYCFC. I hear you. I like the Rapids in this because there's just no pressure on them. I mean, they feel like a team that just, oh, you guys don't believe in us. Probably no one knows who we even are in CCL. Uh, Robin Frazier, just you know, a rising head coach. Uh, I think they can get through. You know, comunicación is going to score the goals for him. Um, Diego Rubio, man, he's 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 gonna, he's going to go off in CCO. They watch. didn't even protect him <laughs> in the expansion draft. So, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Don't ask me about the Rapids roster, but I will tell you this: they will get through. They will beat comunicación. <laughs> you just them to go through. <laughs> they will. They will. They will be. And then NYCFC, if if they face up, like yeah, we just you know threw tons of flowers. And did our own through our own parade for NYCFC on this on this podcast. Uh, I don't know if they are consistent enough to come into an international tournament without Castellanos and like really dedicate themselves to winning this tournament. So th- that to me would be if they were out early, I wouldn't be surprised. Man, they were already talking about it on Saturday. They were all talking about it. They were like, "We are psyched to be in the Champions League." All right, all right. So let's see, I think let's they're see. ready I mean, for it. They're going to Costa Rica. I mean, that, that, that's, it's not a top, top side in Costa Rica, but it's not going to be an easy out either for them. No, uh, it is a nice trip to make in February, though. We'll give them that. Felipe, this one is, uh, it's tailor made for you. Lots of uproar in Atlanta about United not protecting a young and talented center back in Anton Walks. In the expansion draft, he was obviously taken by Charlotte. Many think that a player with low value, such as Brad Guzan, not sure that he has low value. He was quite good last year. Um, should have been unpro- should have been unprotected given his age and salary. He is older and has a high salary. That's fair. Atlanta could also lose Robinson, which which could affect them at center back. Overall thoughts. That's from JJ Smith on Twitter. All right. Yeah. I mean, listen. It, there has been a lot of uproar in Atlanta. There's always uproar in Atlanta when a beloved player or just a player of quality leaves the club. I mean, we've seen that. I've reported on it. It's becoming sort of the norm in the off season in Atlanta. I've said whenever I've done a, a Twitter Spaces or a live room at the Athletic uh, that Antoine Walks for me was sort of a no brainer for Charlotte. 
Uh, he's been, he has experience as, you know, starting and playing on an expansion side. He was very young in 2017 with Atlanta, but he's an experienced guy, a team leader, a smart player. And you need that to start off. So I wasn't surprised that he was chosen as far as not protecting him. Uh, I mean, clearly Atlanta United feels very confident in the remaining defenders that they have in Alan Franco, Miles Robinson and George Campbell. Uh, and, and of those three, you know, if you, if you throw in Antoine walks, I feel like Anton is the least, I think his ceiling is, is probably low. He's the third of those three. He's the third of those three. Uh, he becomes more of a role player in that setup long term. And so this is an opportunity for him to probably become a starter in Charlotte. And listen, Guzan, I understand, like he, he also has sort of a love hate relationship with the fans in Atlanta. Uh, on a high but salary. But was good last year. He though. was, I thought he was very good last year. I thought he, yeah. he was for me at one point and I put it on Twitter. I put it on that website. He tweeted he, it. He was my, <laughs> he was my MVP for Atlanta, you know, late in the season. And like yeah. if the season ended at one point, I was like, he would be my you vote. Can't, you can't lose him if and you're in Atlanta. You he's, have the captain. Captain. he's the captain. He's the captain. Like I lose him. His role is, goes beyond what he does between the sticks. And so, yes, I think Atlanta is just like craving, uh, fresh, like, uh, like fresh blood as in the goalkeeping position. They want to move on a little bit from Guzan, but that's just not happening. I don't don't think they should want that. I don't think they should want that. (laughs) And, Uh, and Robinson, let's touch on that. Like, yeah, is he going to get sold? Is he going to stay? According to, um, a source, a club source, with direct knowledge of that situation with Robinson, there are not any concrete offers from Europe for, for Miles Robinson. Uh, despite what's been on Twitter about interest or inquiries, uh, the front office in Atlanta has been very transparent that they don't have that. There isn't legitimate interest or inquiries at this point, and there are not concrete offers. So he's not going anywhere. I tweeted like, do you think Gonzalo Pineda wants to lose his best defender for 2022? Does does Miles Robinson want to leave right before a World Cup? I just don't see that happening. I think he will remain past 2023 for sure. No doubt. Yeah. He's under club control, I believe, through 23 as well. So there's no huge rush. Maybe we see George Bello go. That would shock me. Hmm. He's entering the final year of his contract, according to what I've been told. This one comes from Tim Katz, Felipe. Is it bad for the league that the best team, quote-unquote, i.e. Supporter Shield winners and champions, i.e. MLS Cup winners, are almost in, always different teams. Shield winners have taken home MLS Cup just four times in the past 20 seasons and only once in the last 10. Who is this good for? Mm, that's a great question. I mean, is it good for – it might be good for fans of those clubs because uh, I think you've said it before, Sam, that like it's the, this is a league that the start of every season – Everyone has a chance. You're not just looking at two or three teams that are guaranteed to to be at the top of the table. Uh, the league probably loves it. The league office probably loves this sort of stat as far as the parody, the the narrative about parity goes. Uh, but you know, I think for 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 fans of the game that want to see a better product on the field, that want to see consistently great soccer, that want to see the teams that can spend continue to spend and overspend if they can. You know, that is probably uh, sort of a shot in the gut to see, to, to read that stat. Yeah, I think, I think it says a few things. One, I don't think there's a way around this, really. And I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. The Shield team winner isn't always the best team in MLS. The unbalanced schedule makes it sort of impossible to determine a regular season champion. 
yeah, a team has the most points at the end. This year especially, East and West from essentially two different leagues in the regular season, right? So how do you know who's better between New England and Portland or Seattle or whoever, right? Like, they don't play ever. And if they did, next year we'll have more interconference matchups, but it still will be a ton. And it's not exactly a home-and-home split. So, I don't know. Who is this good for? I think Felipe said it. Uh, it's good for the league in terms of you know competitive balance and determining a championing. I think that one thing they need to look at is, is trying to reward the Shield winner a little bit more in the playoffs. Um, again, it's tough because of scheduling concerns and international windows and all those things. So, I'm sympathetic. But having the Shield winner have a 23-day layoff before their first playoff game, that's that can't happen again. Like, you just can't. Like, I know it, it's difficult and there's not really a good solution, but that cannot be the solution. I think we've learned that this year. Um, so, yeah, that's my answer on that one. <sighs> Excuse me. I'm struggling with the sniffles <laughs> here. Felipe, do you have the questions pulled up? Could you ask one and give me, give me a second to blow my nose? This is ridiculous. I apologize. Yeah, we have a question here from Ryan Lafarve. I'm sorry if I butchered your last name, but he is asking you, could you do an update on Houston and any rumors on DPs? You covered this in a little bit on the Houston search and in the last notebook, but he's wanting actual knowledge here. Yeah, names. so Ryan, Ryan, read our article. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we don't have much of an update in terms of DPs for Houston. Um they're focused, I think, right now on the coaching search. They are hiring Asher Mendelson as technical director underneath GM Pat Onstad, according to what I've been told by sources. Mendelson worked with Onstad in Columbus. He was the director of soccer operations there under Burhalter. He's been working for the league. He did some work with U.S. soccer. He's been around the block. Uh, he's helped out a lot and knows MLS well. Um, in terms of their coaching search, they were close with Paolo Mastroeni, from what I was told, before he was hired by RSL. Um, but the RSL new owner, whoever that might be, you know, there's a group with David Blitzer involved that is, it was close, at least from what I reported about a month ago now. I don't know exactly where that stands at this point. Apparently they got Pablo back to Salt Lake. Uh, it kind of ensured that he did not go to Houston. Houston's kind of struck out on the domestic candidates now. Right. Pablo Mastroeni, Luchi Gonzalez, uh, Pat Newton. Um, none of those guys ended up with the Dynamo. And at this point, from what I've been told, keep an eye on Jaime Lozano, the Mexico Olympic coach, U23 coach. He's 43. He spent time at Carretero. Um, so that, that could be a guy that they chase after and potentially even hire. Um, and, highly you know, <laughs> respected, highly respected in Mexico. Some guys are like, he needs to take over for Tata Martino. That's how, well-respected yeah. he is in, in, in Mexico. So I think that could be a name that they chase. I don't know, man. Maybe Dom Kinnear gets back in the mix. <laughs> Again. Um, I, I mean, I think ownership, new owner Ted Siegel had some concerns about hiring the former club legend Pat Onstad and then the former head coach Dom Kinnear just about like going too far back into that well. But at this point, you know, in terms of realistic candidates out there, like, I wouldn't be shocked. I'll just say that. So we'll see where Houston ends up. But, you know, a team that's running out of time to get something done. And a tough start for Pat Onstead, who only took over at the start of November. So he was put in a difficult situation. But, uh, yeah, they got to get a higher in place and, and got to get moving on that roster because that needs a lot of work, too. What about Jonah DeSantis as a DP? 
Yeah, there's been some reports about that, right? Um, I mean, I don't know, man. Like, I think, I think it would make some sense. I would question how, how much of an impact he would make, you know? It, it just, that would feel like a very Houston move, taking another higher profile team's DP reject and bringing them in and expecting him to make a giant impact that he didn't really make in LA when he was younger and theoretically more in his prime. I mean, he should be highly motivated next year as he tries to, to get on Mexico's World Cup team. Uh, but I don't know. It, <laughs> I would be a little underwhelmed, even understanding that he could make a big impact for them. Yeah, I mean, Jonah DeSantos, he can only be a DP in this league. His salary is so incredibly high. He can't just, like, take a $500,000 pay cut and move to the well, team he Well, he could. He could if he wanted he to. I don't think he will. I don't think he will. And And I agree. Like, his impact was not consistent enough i remember you know he struggled under you know barros escaloto he had some injuries and even with that tata martino was calling him up he's still one of the preferred players that tata likes but he's been out of the picture for mexico because the niggling injuries just sort of keep piling up on him and he hasn't been able to play but from what i'm told i was i was in mexico i was hanging out with la times reporter kevin baxter and, you know, he was telling me that Jonah is a guy that wants to stay in MLS. So, uh, and I don't know if there's a huge market for him in Mexico either. I mean, he's a popular player, yeah. but he probably could make more money in MLS than Mexico at this point. Right now. Yeah, probably. So that's, that's always a consideration there. But yeah, Houston with a lot of work to do for sure. Uh, Felipe, another quick one. I can answer this really quickly. This is from Mike Miller. Does RSL have the ability to re-sign Ruznak, Albert Ruznak? He's a free agent before new ownership is installed. Will that transition be completed before the 2022 season? Uh, from what I understand, yes, they do have that ability. Um, ownership, you know, the discussions are at a point where they're having input on coaching decisions. So yeah, they can, they can green light a signing, I think for sure. Um, will that transition be completed before 2022 season? I think so. From what Donnie Garber said last week, uh, it sounds like that. Uh, I think a deal is far enough along. Sometimes these things take a long time to close. Sometimes they fall through. So who knows? It might not be, but I would expect that it will. And then, of course, uh, another thing that we haven't touched on really on the show, I don't think. Sounds like MLS is going to Vegas, which could be a nice little local, local-ish rival for Salt Lake. Uh, I think S- Vegas is actually closer to Salt Lake than Denver is for those those unaware. Um, uh, just kind of a fun little tidbit there. But it's, it sounds like Vegas will be the 30th team, so that's worth touching on. And then last question of the show, of the year. Let's close it out with this. This is from our beloved producer, Joe Lowry. Um, would you rather stand downwind after dark in Casa Grande, Arizona, where the smell of the cows penetrates everything, or blow up the inflatable MLS coat cup trophy all by yourself felipe this one's more geared towards me but i want you to answer it too what would you rather do i would love to pop that huge like fake trophy balloon thing i would love to just do that i don't know you want to pop it sinister or maybe turn it into like uh uh what are those things called that kids jump inside i have kids and i don't even know a bounce house a bouncy house yeah like make it mls cup (laughs) bouncy house for adults (laughs) i like that i like a mls cup bouncy house repurpose that trophy rest in peace for those who do not know what we're talking about go to the athletic read matt pence's story about the the saga of this inflatable blow up trophy it was incredible to watch just real real absolute scenes out there at providence park uh i would rather i don't know this is a terrible question joe really difficult to answer casa ground smells really bad at night there are a lot of cows 
it's just tough. It's tough. That smell is everywhere. Right now, I can't smell anything because of how clogged my <laughs> nose is. So I'll take that one. Um, anyway, we'll close the show with that on that strange note. Felipe, thank you so much for joining me, man. It's been fun. Of course. Anytime, man. I loved it. And thank you all for listening. Uh, it's been a fun year. I hope you enjoy this show. I certainly enjoy doing it. I can speak for Paul when I say that he enjoys doing it as well. And thanks Shout for keeping us Paul. going. Shout out to Paul. Thanks for keeping us going. Uh, for real. Thanks for subscribing to The Athletic. Those of you that do, thanks for listening to this. Uh, you empower us to do something that we love doing, and that's really cool. So thank you for that, and uh, hopefully we provide a little bit of enjoyment to you in return. This has been Allocation Disorder. I'm Sam. He's Felipe. Thanks for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.